um, the current teaching series has been and will continue to be centered around this idea of moving from a church that's planted to a church that's rooted. Um, And uh, being a planted church um, or being a rooted church has nothing to do with the amount of time that that church has been around, um, but it has to do with the spirit of that church. It has to do with the spiritual identity of that church in Christ. How deep do those roots go into Christ? And so far during this teaching series, we've covered a lot of topics about the church and its roots being connected deeply, about Cornerstone and our roots being connected deeply. And we've talked about leadership, including deacons and elders. We've talked about the church's function of praising God for who he is and what he's given to us um, out of Ephesians 1. Um, Last week, Jay talked about the concept of who's in and who's out of the kingdom off of Matthew 7, the wide and the narrow gate, and what that means for us as a church moving from a church that's planted to a church that's rooted. And there's nothing wrong with being a church that's planted. We were planted 16, 17 years ago, and, but we desire our roots to go down deep into Christ, deep into Christ. And so that's where we are as a church. Um, so as we continue this teaching, and you've heard Jay and I both reiterate over and over these four assumptions that we're working under during this teaching series. And the first assumption is, is that you cannot love the head, Christ. You cannot love the head and simultaneously hate the body, the church, right? You can't do that. You love the head and you love his bride, right? Um, The church, number two, the church is a means to an end, but it is not the end. Christ is the end, right? The church is a means to an end, but it's not the end. Christ is the end, and the church is this body, this vehicle that Christ has given to us so that the world might know him. So it's really important, but he's the end, right? Number three, we will at all costs be Christ-centered. At all costs, we will be Christ-centered. That might be asking a lot of us, but it's worth it. We will at all costs be Christ-centered. Number four, we will not be driven by consumerism or numbers. Um, Our faith is not a buffet table before us that we taste and, you know, try different, you know, we go to Christ, right? Right? We will not be bothered, we will not be driven by consumerism or numbers. We will be driven to Christ. Um, You'll hear these four assumptions, particularly the first three, um, a little later on as we go through the word. And I'm going to read right now from Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. 
Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to play tricks with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Let's pray. Jesus, we receive you, the word of life, and we receive your, your word to us today. You are part of these words. You are in these words. You are these words of truth that we receive. And Lord, make that truth very, very real to us. This passage may be one that we've heard before, but, but make it real on new levels to us, Jesus. Um, allow our hearts to be tender to your spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I have an illustration that I need your help on this morning. And um, you're going to need to move for this, okay? So I need everybody's participation. Cheryl might be exempt. I talked to her ahead of time because she knows she had two knee replacements. So if you can beat that, then you can sit back there, Cheryl. But I think Cheryl might want to participate in this because it involves her beloved Philadelphia Eagles. So... Um, I need you all to break yourselves up into three groups, and this is how it's going to work. If you are fans of the Philadelphia Eagles, congregate over here, not yet, congregate over here, down front in front of the wall. If you are fans of some other professional football team or the sport in general, congregate here in the middle. If you would rather be cleaning the bathroom than watching a football game, then you congregate over here, okay? So, go ahead, make your moves, and Cheryl is on the loose. Yeah, she's game for this. All right, good stuff. Now, you're going to go back to your seats. Don't worry. I know, like, the mojo of the room might be off because you're in the wrong pew right now or something. That's all right. You're going to be going back. Um, This is a pretty good even distribution. This is going to be good, good. Um, All right. Now, together as a group... This is going to be challenging, but try to, try to, this is what I, I need you to do. I need you to pick somebody to be your representative, okay? That might just take the initiative, um, the loudest mouth maybe. And as a group, I need you to come up with three general reasons why, um, let's see here. Three reasons why you are in your particular group. In other words, what keeps your group unified? Like, why are you there? What is it about your group that keeps you in that group, okay? So this is fairly general. You're going to have a representative. Try to work together as a team. There's a lot of people. This is good. And uh, just three general reasons why your group is unified around whatever it is that your group is unified around. Got it? So write those down. So, so hopefully somebody has a pencil. So hopefully somebody has a piece of paper. And in about... Three or four minutes, I'm going to have you deliver those to me, all right? Don't go back to your seats. I want you to stay here for this part of the service. So go ahead. Three reasons why you as a group are unified. Okay. 
Great. Okay, good job. Okay, stay in your groups. So we'll start with uh, the fans of the Philadelphia Eagles over here. Um, they had loyalty, loyalty. So that, I would imagine that's connected with kind of like geographic connectedness, things like that, right? You've been a fan since you were little. Your dad was a fan. Okay, good, loyalty. We hate the Cowboys. <laughs> Any Cowboys fans here? Okay, all right. A little disunity. That's, that's a, oh, a lot of Cowboys fans. And the last one is just E-A-G-L-E-S. You guys are now mocking them in your head, right? I know, I know. You're like, oh, that's cool, right? Um, okay, uh, let's go with the middle group. Fans of some other professional football team or the sport in general. Um, and they said they are in this group because they don't want to clean or do chores instead. <laughs> it's fair. They don't like the Eagles. And they're from other places that they might be connected geographically to another team. So, you know, from maybe New York. or So, well, you've got Dallas fans here. What else? Giants, Steelers, Raiders. Oh, Bears, Bears. That's right. I was like, well, you're from Chicago. <laughs> okay, so we got, okay. And then over here, would rather be cleaning the bathroom. Um, this, this is a good list. You all want to listen to this. Number one, there are other ways we prefer to spend our time. <laughs> kind of feel that, right? You guys felt that a little bit, right? It gets better. There are other ways we prefer to spend our money. Oh, it gets better. Are you referring to the bathroom or to them for number three? Cleanliness is next to godliness is their third one. So I don't... So, okay, stay in your seats. You all did really well. For those that are standing, just a couple more minutes. This, what we did here was, I, I intentionally wanted to stir you up. Thank you for participating. I figured going with the Eagles was a good way to do that. Um, we tend to do that here at Cornerstone with the Eagles. Um, but this is what the church does, right? This is a picture of what the church does, right? And so we, um, we, we separate ourselves into groups. You like traditional worship? Go over there, right? You like contemporary worship? Go over there. You like something pretty crazy and charismatic? You, you go over there and just, everybody just kind of keep to themselves, right? You, you center yourself around that thing, right? And that's where your unity comes from, or your perceived unity at least. You, um, you don't think women should be in ministry? Right? You go over there. You think women can be in ministry but only in the children's ministry, then you go over there, right? Um, you're, you take communion every Sunday, here's the church for you. You take communion every two months, go, go over there, right? And so we, we build around these kinds of things, and, and it's okay to have theological differences in the church. You know we have theological differences at Cornerstone, um, and, and we, we discuss those, and we want this to be a place to have those conversations. Um, and, and there's certainly something to be said about, you know, different kinds of worship. You know, they're, they're appropriate. There's nothing wrong with different kinds of worship. But what's wrong is when we begin to center ourselves around. And then when we center ourselves around these things in the church, we point to the other group, right? 
just like we did today a little bit. And the reason that we're together is because we don't like their thing, right? Because our thing's better. And so we judge, and it makes us feel better about our group because we're better than their group, right? And so this is what happens in the church. And it's been happening for hundreds of years, and it's wrong. It's, it's wrong. Um, these things are not what connect us. Christ is the unifying peace in a rooted church, right? And, and, and in that, there might be some theological differences. We're, we're not the smartest people in the world. We don't have everything figured out in the Bible. Maybe we think we do, but, but we don't. And so we live together and work together and wrestle through these things together and love each other instead of judging others' cleanliness or their, their loyalty to their particular team or whatever the case may be, right? Um, Ephesians 4, 4 to 6 says that there is one body, one spirit, one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord there is one faith, there is one baptism in Christ, there is one God and Father over all, right? So if we go back and look at those first three assumptions again, you cannot love the head and hate the body, right? We, we cannot live this way. That is not a rooted church. If you love the head, then you love the bride, you love the body, and if you don't love the body like this, then you should pretty take a closer look at what your relationship is with the head. Number two, the church is a means to an end, but it's not the end. Christ is the end, right? Christ is the end. And we will at all costs, number three, we will at all costs be Christ-centered. That is the place. This is not Christ-centeredness. This is, ultimately, this is me-centeredness is what it comes down to, right? This is what I like. This is what I judge to be right. But a rooted church is Christ-centered. Okay, now, everybody stand up. Stay where you are. And then move in to the middle, all right? Keep going. Smash it in. Look out for Cheryl. Let her be on an end. That's probably better. Okay, you guys are taking care of her back there. Good. This is the picture of the body of Christ. Right? Look around. Like, turn around. Look, look around. Stand up on a chair if you want to get a, a better look. Yeah. <laughs> this is a picture of the body of Christ. Yeah. It looks kind of like that, right? With Christ at the center. Okay, go ahead. You can go back to your original seats, unless you want to stay like this. <laughs> Should be kind of cool, but I understand. And as you're going back to your seat, you know, as we prayed this morning, you know, as a body, together, we pray in unity. We, we prayed as a body, together, for John, and for baby James, and for Alex, and for Amy and Ella. And this, that's what the body does, Right? That's what the body does. In Matthew 12.30, 
Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. You know what, even as you guys go back to your seat, I'm thinking like, man, it was so cool. It's like I feel like everybody's, you know what I mean? It's like now I feel like, hey, you know, it just it feels different. But it's cool. Stay where you're at. It's all good. Um, Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me, right? There's two options here. Well, really one. You are with him, working with him, or you're not, right? You are with him, working with him, or you're not. Sometimes at Cornerstone, we talk of this concept about a th- of a third place, and great concept, awesome concept. Here, no third place. But a lot of us have created a third place here, right? But there's no third place. Jesus makes it clear. You're with me or you're not. And he wants us to be with him, right? Um, then looking forward to Ephesians 4, we have all these ones, right? There's one faith, one baptism, one hope of a glorious future, one Lord, one Father over all. One. One. There is, there's one. And so here in Ephesians 4, it's the same thing. Like, you're either part of that oneness, you're either part of that baptism, that in Christness, that faith, that hope, or you're not. And as a rooted church, we want to say, like, we are, we are there, right? We are one. Like, that's what we want to be. We don't want this. We don't want this. The church easily defaults to this. Cornerstone can easily default to that. We have to be on guard. This is who we want to be. When we, we can say with a degree of certainty that if you aren't part of the one that it's talking about in here, then you're out because there's only one. This is, this is hard language to hear, you know? It's, it's even hard to speak, but it's, it's here. There's one. There's one in Christ. And you might be thinking, yeah, but, you know, we're sinful, and we do these things that erode this oneness, and yeah, that's true. And the passage says in verse 2, Ephesians 4, verse 2, it says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. So Paul's acknowledging, yes, we are sinful, we don't live in that place, but, but it's there, it's real. We have to make an allowance for each other's faults because of love, because of our love, and our love comes from the one. So we don't just sign up for this. We, we work at this because we've been equipped to work at it. He hasn't just left us to our own sin to figure it out. He gives us, he says, you know, be humble and gentle. And it's interesting in Scripture when, when particularly in the, in the, uh, the Pauline epistles, when, when Paul's talking about unity, which he does, humility is usually somewhere in the context. Like, it, it takes a lot of humility to live, to live this way. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. It's an assumption. It's assumed that you have this kind of love to make this happen because he's writing to his church and his church has everything that it needs. So make allowance for people's faults because, because of your love. 
It's like you have this money in your bank account. So go pay your bills because there's plenty of money there, right? And we'd all love to be in that situation. But, but imagine if that's how you lived all the time. Imagine somebody not paying their bills even though they had plenty of money in their account. This is the kind of thing Paul is saying. Like, love because you have it. Because he gave it to you, right? And, and, and go for this. Work for this. So he hasn't left us on our own to figure this out. And it's really beautiful because we're not left to ourselves to figure out the unity thing, which is the mark of a rooted church. But he gives his people gifts so that they can they can exercise these gifts to establish unity. In verse 7, it starts off saying, however. So, usually we use the word however because we're going, da, 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 we say something, however, <sighs> right? I'm sure your English teachers all explained grammatical correctness like that to you. Paul's talking about all this unity. However, there's this beautiful thing called diversity that God's spirit brings into the kingdom. And he brings it in through these things called gifts. And these diverse gifts will help you bring unity. Okay? It's, these statements aren't contradictory. Um, the world wants to use the word diversity in ways to say, hey, a- a- anything goes. Do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. And forget about everybody else, right? Who cares if they don't like what you do? You do your thing. That's, that's not redemptive diversity. This is redemptive diversity. That the Spirit who loves us gives us each unique gifts. And so we're this diverse bunch of folks in the church. A diverse bunch of folks at Cornerstone. But he weaves them all together because we need each other and each other's gifts and it creates this kind of thing, Right? So there's this beautiful thing called diversity that builds this beautiful thing called unity that Christ is at the core of. Um, scripture gives us various lists of gifts. Um, and some people lump them all into one big list and some people separate them out and give each list a title and say, well, these are a certain kind of gift and these are a certain kind of gift. And, and that's all fine. I don't want to get hung up on that this morning. Um, but I do want to look at a couple, a couple of these lists. Um, Romans... 12, verse 6 to 8, says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. If you wanted to label this, which I hesitate to do, but you could label it something like these, these reveal God's nature. Like when we exhibit these gifts as the body of Christ, it reveals something of who God is. He's a giver. He's an encourager. He gives us truth. He's our teacher. You know, these are, these are things that as we live in them reveal who our God is to the world around us. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else that one Spirit gives the gift of healing. 
He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So this group of gifts reveals God's power, right? We're talking about things like tongues and interpreting tongues and miracles and healing and prophecy. So, so if you wanted to label this gift or the, this list, you would say, hey, here's, here's some gifts that really show who God is. Like if somebody has the gift of healing and, and, and you have experienced somebody getting healed, wow, or you've experienced it yourself, the power of God manifested, right? The power of God. And then in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, we have this list. Um, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This is a list, if you wanted to label it, that, that expresses leadership gifts, leaders in the church, that God gives these gifts to the church, to the leaders in the church, to equip people in the church, right? So there's apostles. Um, the apostles take the message of Christ. The prophets speak the message of Christ. Um, the, uh, the pastors oversee the flock. The teachers teach the word, um, and so on, right? To equip the body to glorify their creator. Leadership gifts. It's important to note that in these three lists, like the gifts are not for us. Yes, they're given to us. They're given to us, but they're not for us. They're for the body. In each one of these passages, go back and read them. It's all about so you can do this for somebody, so you can give this to somebody, so you can help somebody in this way. It's always to use the gift that God has given you for someone else. In the Ephesians 4 passage, yes, these gifts are given to leaders, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds. But the gift is for the body. It's to, to equip the body. And sometimes we might say, well, I'm not a giver, so I don't need to give because my specialty is prophecy. Well, it doesn't work that way either. Or, I'm not a servant, so I don't need to stay and clean up the chairs because I'm at mercy. I'm looking to be merciful to somebody. Right now, I don't see anybody who needs mercy, so I'm just going to wait, so I'm not going to touch the chairs, right? And we can do that. We can kind of rely on our gifts like, in a, like as a crutch. I don't need to do X, Y, or Z because I'm not that because my gifts inventory told me I was something else, and I don't want to mess that up, right? And so we can't say or eliminate ourselves from something simply because we have a particular gift or don't have a particular gift. We need to be really careful um, how we do that. As members of the body of Christ, we have two responsibilities. To use our gifts for the benefit of others, and by so doing, we build up the church and glorify Christ. Right? That's our first responsibility. To use our gifts for the benefit of others, and in so doing, we build up the church and glorify Christ. Secondly, and this is hard for this land, for this region, we need to receive the exercise of others' gifts in our life. 
we live in a place that says I can pull myself up on my own bootstraps and I can do it myself. And you know what? I believe that. You can do it yourself most of the time. But that's not how we were made, right? That's not what we were made for. We were made to be bigger than that and more effective than that and sometimes that means receiving from others. And so we not only give our gift and serve in our gift and exercise our gift towards the body, but we all must receive the gifts that God has put in our body. And by receiving, his kingdom is glorified and he is glorified and the church becomes rooted. It's okay to say, I can't do something and somebody can and they're going to do it joyfully and they're going to love doing it for me and I can receive that goodness that the Lord wants to give me. And in return, I glorify him. When this giving and receiving through the exchange of spiritual gifts is happening, a church is equipped to do God's work. The church glorifies him. The church is unified. In summary, that the church becomes rooted. And so with this particular passage in Ephesians 4, with the, the gifts that God has given the leaders in Cornerstone, you all have a responsibility to receive that, right? So we can be fully equipped as a church. And likewise, the leaders don't have every gift. We need to receive from the body. And so it's not really a, an us and them thing at all. And it's, it's we together are the body of Christ, giving and receiving. It's, a, it's, it's almost like, a, like a, an exchange, like a monetary exchange in the market, But it's just we go to the same market all the time because God has given us everything we need right here with the gifts in this body. And we give to each other and we receive from each other. And then it's beautiful. It's beautiful. We've looked at three gift passages this morning. Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians. But I've stopped short in looking at all of those. So check this out. This This is pretty cool. Go back to the Romans passage. So we read um, verses 6 to 8 where it lifts, lists the gifts. And then in verse 9, it just goes into, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. So list of gifts, and it ends with the list, don't just, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Okay, now go to the 1 Corinthians, 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 passage. We started in verse 7, and we read a bunch of, um, of gifts in verse 7 down to 12. And then in verse 12, um, he goes into, you know, the, the whole analogy of the body and the parts, and they're all important, you know, the, from the smallest to the biggest, from the most important to the least important. They're all part of the body. And he finishes out chapter 12 talking about that. And then in verse 13, He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had to get the prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, you're a giver, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So again, the gifts, love, right? Now go to Ephesians. So he gives the gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. In verse 15, 
Let's start in 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown away by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Why? Because we have these gifts in the church, right? Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of what? Love. All three of these passages give us these lists and we think, that's great, that's awesome. The Spirit gives us these gifts and at the end of all those passages, the reason we have them is so that we can love so that we can love. And when the church loves, when the church loves itself in the sense of loving one another in the body, when the bride can love itself, the bride can love the world, and when that kind of thing starts happening, the world starts to see the love of the one, right? We start to glorify him just because of who we are, because of the gifts that he's given us, and they're working together perfectly, and they're in sync, and they're just right, And we just love loving each other. And we love loving the world. And then through all that, just Jesus automatically just gets glorified. And people are saying, what is going on? That is against everything that I know. And it's beautiful and it's right. The purpose of the gifts aren't for us to glorify ourselves. They're so that we can love others and glorify him. So we start off with this diversity of gifts, right? Receiving them and exercising them towards other people. That leads us towards love, right? When we live in our gifts this way, we are automatically pointed towards love. The passage says so, right? And when we're living in love, we're living in unity. And we have that picture of what this passage is talking about, that the church is one. It's not just language. It's reality. It should be our reality. Sometimes we get so hung up in the different pieces of everything and how they don't fit together that we miss the reality that this Unity, this picture, is what we were created for as a rooted church. This is what we were created for. These gifts are a tool for us. Gifts that the Spirit has given us, that Jesus has given us through His Spirit. They're a tool for us to give and receive love. Love, then, is the means through which we are one. We stay as one and we glorify the one. This is the picture of a rooted church. Let's read that again. These gifts are a tool. And now don't don't minimize just because the word tool is there. It's not like, you know, we hang them on our belt. This is a big deal, right? These gifts are a tool for us to give and receive love. Love, then, is the means through which we are one, stay as one, and glorify the one. And this is the picture of a rooted church. The whole thing with the football team, we had a lot of fun with that. Like, you guys engaged that so well. Don't let that just become, like, a fun thing that we did that sticks in your head, like the center point of the sermon. Let it stick in your head. But, but that so easily happens in the church. And we did it with football and made it fun and it was good and everybody participated. But... But there's so many other things that we do that with. And the enemy just, he just swoops in there. 
And he just is like, I'll go there with you. I will go there with you and you judge over there as you judge as much as you want to judge because you are awesome. You are right. You are so much better than them. But that is not what God's word said. Reality is different. That is not reality. If we are part of this one thing, if we are part of Christ, then that is the other option, the invalid option. The only option left before us is our oneness, our one faith, our one baptism, one Lord, one Father, one glorious hope for the future. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we declare that we are part of your oneness picture. Um, you, you give us that. And we don't have to take that. But the other option stinks. It's horrible. It's evil. It's wrong, Lord. Um, we declare that, that your bride is beautiful, that Cornerstone is beautiful. You have given this body everything that it needs through the giftedness of the people in here. All the gifts are a part of this thing called the body. From the smallest gift that goes unnoticed to the gift that's seen the greatest, they all matter. Just this picture of this big, huge basketball player, Shaquille O'Neal, came to my mind. And he, uh, he had a was like 350 pounds. I don't know, maybe not quite that much. A hurt pinky toe on his foot kept him out for a long time. The little tiny toe, huge man, can't play. Lord, that's your body. Like we need everything together, Lord. And we thank you for the provision that you have given to us and we declare that we are one together, that we are one with you. We are part of your baptism, not any other baptism. Your faith, not any other faith your lordship, not any other lordship, your authority and no other authority do we place ourselves under, Lord. We place ourselves under you. You are the one. We are with you. We choose you as your bride, Jesus, because you first chose us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And to you, Cornerstone, the bride of Christ, the perfect, wonderful, beautiful bride of Christ, there is no other name in heaven or on earth or anywhere by which we come together under. There is no other name by which we are saved and we need to be saved. We need to be saved from ourselves. We need to be saved from the enemy. But there is no other name, Jesus, through which we can be saved but yours. And so as your bride, we come together and receive this truth. We walk in this truth and we project this truth to the world around us. That we walk as your bride, together, under one name. And that is the name that saves us. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.